And they sang a new song. You're the worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. Be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. The song we were just singing out of Revelation chapter 5. In fact, this morning we will be reading from Revelation chapter 13. If you turn there in your Bibles, Revelation 13 is what we're going to look at this morning. I'm just going to read through the whole chapter. The testimony of uh, Jesus, uh, first chapter, uh, chapter 13, verse 1. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horns, and each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshiped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? And the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheming God, to slander his name in his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints, to conquer them, and he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life, belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. And then I saw another beast coming out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke like a dragon. He exercised the, all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could not, so it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us your word. And we recognize that in your word, those things that speak of what is yet to come, even in the, in the end times, is ultimately meant to turn our hearts, our minds, our very beings to you. Lord, you have written these words here for us and not that everything can be understood in this moment, in this time. But I pray that you'd open our hearts and our minds at the very least to see you, Jesus. Jesus. 
and you help us to understand how you have a plan and what will happen in the end for those who have your seal. So Lord, I ask that you'd help me to speak your words, but I ask that you'd help us to hear, to clearly understand what we need to understand this day, but to hear you and your voice in all of this. So we give this time and this message to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Ladies and gentlemen, let's get ready to rumble. Welcome to the main event. Brought to you by End Times Bible Prophecy, the final heavyweight fight for the world. This fight will last seven rounds, or for some of you, seven years of tribulation before the final bell sounds and we have a decision. Now in this corner, needing no introduction, in this arena, the undisputed, the undefeated champion of the world, weighing in at an infinite weight and glory with more knockouts and wins than can even be counted, hailing from heaven above yet coming from all over the world is the almighty, the everlasting, the ancient of days, the alpha and omega. Please welcome the sovereign Lord the God of the universe, the Savior of the world, Jesus! Jesus, the one who defeats every foe. And before the bell sounds, it seems that we also as well need to take a look at the opponents in this fight to end all fights. And so in the other corner, those specifically against God, They're spoken of here in Revelation 13. Those who are going to bring and be the trouble in the tribulation in the end times. Let's begin with our first point. We need to grasp who is in the corner against God. An overview, and we're going to get specific. We'll overview it and we'll just keep dropping down and more specifically... There is a tag team that's going to pose Jesus for the world in the final heavyweight fight. Some would call this tag team the unholy trinity. The unholy trinity of evil, if you will. If you look in Revelation chapter 13, where we began and where we're coming from here this morning... Verse 1 says, And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with crowns on his horns, each head at a blast of his name. Skip up to uh, verse 11. And I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. So there are three involved, this unholy trinity. Actually, these three are mentioned in other places, including in Revelation, if you... Look on our screen here or in your Bibles in Revelation chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, unclean spirits like frogs. They are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for war of that great day of the God Almighty. All right. You see those three that are listed there? There are three. I underlined them. The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. The unholy trinity of evil against God. Note, for two of these, the, the beast and the false prophet, they are making their final appearance in this seven-round or year fight. And the dragon is making his next to last appearance in the ring with God. Speaking of which dragon who's the dragon now we might assume and we might have somebody tell us but it's always important as we've been talking about through this end times prophecy is that 
we make sure that we see things clearly in the word of God, or at least that they are clear enough to be able to say, this is seems like the interpretation versus just speculation. So we go to uh, the next passage in Revelation chapter um, 12. The war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called what? Devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth with his angels with him. So based on that passage, the dragon is Satan, the devil. Some of this is not hard. I, you know, as we've talked about it, some of it is gets kind of craziness and what people say, but some of this is clear. Satan, the foremost of all the opposition, the force behind all of this from the beginning, Satan has tried to stop and intervene into God's plan, even to stop it before it began. With Jesus coming on this earth uh, at the very beginning, that uh, before his birth, so to speak, as uh, on this earth, there there are other things. Uh, that right now, I know we look around, there are things that seem bad. There are things that, that the enemy seems to be on the increase. There are things that are blatantly demonic in our day. That's nothing compared to what's going to happen in the tribulation. A dramatic increase in the demonic activity as Satan and his forces are unrestrained. And you've got to figure, Satan's been building up for this moment to the fight at the very end. He's, he's been working on this and, and the t- getting the tag team together. It's going to be big. It's going to be his best work, or should we say his worst work that is yet to come. So in the challenger's corner, that, that next opponent, besides the dragon, we said the, the holy trinity, the next opponent is the beast. It's the beast. Now, somebody said, well, wait, wait a minute. We got the dragon to Satan, and then we got the beast. But I, I, what about what about the Antichrist? I mean, you're just going right to the beast. What about the 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 Antichrist? I mean, that's the one uh, that we hear about and the prophecy people talk about, the the books talk about, the movies are talking about the Antichrist coming. Where does the Antichrist fit in all of this in this final heavyweight battle? And it's a good question as some of our terminology that we are given it's a lot of our terminology of end times and what's going to happen we haven't necessarily gotten from our own reading of the word let's admit it right a lot of our end times terminology in our talk comes because we heard somebody else say something or we saw a movie or something like that i don't know so we got to really check what we're saying and what we're what we're doing regarding so what what about this it can be confusing especially regarding the antichrist in the bible well so Let's instead just go to the Antichrist. Who's the Antichrist? It's probably one of the first enemies in the end times that you've heard of. In fact, it would just have a show of hands. How many have ever heard the word or the name Antichrist? Okay, we've got at least 90% more have heard that. Anti, and in that word, that Antichrist can mean instead of or against there's two meanings with it instead of or against so either it is a false christ or an enemy of christ either way the capital a antichrist of end times can be both but some of the discussion that goes on regarding this is is different some there's some confusion people saying whether well, really is going to be an actual antichrist in the end times is that really going to happen and of course we would take exception with those who would come from the point where they just don't believe that there's anything literal or real on this earth that's going to take place regarding end times. It's all in heaven or it's just kind of a story form and just a, 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 an analogy for people to get. Uh, they would not even believe that there was going to be a real tribulation on this earth. Instead, just kind of allegories, allegorize it all. By the way, some would say the tribulation has already taken place. There's even some that would believe that already. So do we have a question then? Is the Antichrist an actual fighter in the heavyweight fight? Yes. But here's the difficulty. Or at least the the confusion is not really a difficulty. If we're set on using that exact word, which seems to be the word that's used more often than 
the beast. Would you agree, those of you who read and heard, didn't you hear the word Antichrist used way more than talking about the beast or some of these other things? And so, as you have this uh, word, word look, as we look in the Bible for the word Antichrist, four times, maybe seven, it's used. Depends on how you want to look at that, but let's say four times. So first of all, the Antichrist isn't used that often. And guess where you do not find the word Antichrist? Guess which book of the Bible you don't find it? Revelation. Think about it. Revelation is the end time. Revelation is where you don't find the word. So you can see how people get confused. Like, what, what's going on here? In fact, First John, a lot of times it's used in First John, but it's not always used for the Antichrist as we're talking about. If we look at this verse, chapter 4 in First uh, John, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And then on to verse 3. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. Now, obviously, as he's using this, he's not talking about a person. He's talking about the spirit of the Antichrist. He's talking uh, about a philosophy, a worldview, a a teaching, uh, and that discernment is needed with this. Now, that's not talking about, so it's like, well, but... What about the Antichrist? Well, there's another place that John uses it. In 2 John 1, 7, I say this because many deceivers who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh have gone out into the world. Any such person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. Well, that, again, as you read that, it's not one person that it's saying is the Antichrist. It's those, anyone who's a deceiver, anyone who's come not acknowledge Jesus Christ come in the flesh. Those are Antichrists. So we're talking about using this word Antichrist and everybody's throwing it around. Already we've got two or three of the few instances that it's used that are not referring to that. So does that mean it's not really that person? Does that mean John? And what that means is that John was more concerned at, at what God had put on him to put down is to have more concern about the little antichrists that are going all over the place right here and now in his time and right here and now in our time. That John is more concerned about the spirit of the antichrist during the, the, this kind of thinking and philosophy and this teaching that's going around. He's more concerned about that than being concerned about who is the antichrist at the very end. But so many times we can get off track and get too focused on what is coming in the in the future when we do not know versus dealing with the present that we do know. But that doesn't mean that John doesn't say because there's another place for John chapter 2, verse 18. Dear children, this is the last hour as you have heard that the Antichrist, and if I could, I'd put a capital A there and I'd put a, a capitalized T-H-E, the Antichrist. You, you see what he's saying? Is the last hour and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. But even now, many, many antichrists have come. Many antichrists with a little a, if you will, is the way we think about it. Obviously, there's no such thing in the Greek about little a and big a, but the way we think about it. There are many, but there is one coming. John still says that is what is yet to happen. This capital antichrist described in other places. And the reality is he's really described with other names, many different names. Paul gives a different name in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. In this passage, we see this passage in other places. Uh, this, this, what is mentioned here in other places in the word in both the Old and the New Testament. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. That would be who Paul is calling the the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed, the man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped, and so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things. And now you know what is holding him back. 
so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back will continue to do so till he is taken out of the way. You see, Jesus talks about this same one in Matthew chapter 24 when we went through that passage about the one when you see the one standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation was spoken of by the prophet Daniel. This is a picture of the Antichrist. A specific person. What is being said in these verses here is not about some philosophy or just some little A Antichrist, but the big A. And I know that there are those who will try to say, well, you know, this was the prophecies like this and things are already fulfilled. And I don't want to get too much into it, but if you hear somebody trying to say it's already passed, it doesn't apply. Uh, What we understand is that, yes, sometimes there has been a, a prophet who has spoken a word and that has been partially fulfilled within maybe that prophet's timeline, but it's not completely fulfilled, including this man of lawlessness which some would say was uh, Antiochus Epiphanes. But that was in uh, B.C., not during Christ's time and not after Christ's time on this earth. And, and so there's, there's not an application. It wasn't fully fulfilled. Just understand there's still things that have not yet come to get. So the Antichrist, one, of the final, one in the final fight. But who is the Antichrist? We, we are, we're dealing with chapter 13 of Revelation, so we've got to make the connection here. Here's the deal. The Antichrist is the beast. It's just another name again. The Antichrist is the beast. And the beast name is used a lot in Revelation here. So uh, I'll try to keep them together as we go through this. But uh, they're one and the same, the opponent the anti-God, the one who's proclaiming himself to be the Messiah that the world needs, the one who says he's to be worshipped. Uh, you can imagine the chaos at the end of times, uh, and everybody's going to be looking for someone to give kind of leadership. Somebody's got to step up. Somebody's got to help us, uh, and the world come together, and they look to this person. And look at with, uh, back to Revelation chapter 13, verse 1. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw the beast coming out of the sea. All right. First of all, many would interpret that, that he will be a Gentile because it's coming out of the sea, referencing the Gentile nations. You say, whoa. And again, may or may not be. There's things we have yet to find out. But Revelation chapter 17, verse 1 and verse 15 are here. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said, come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and language. Languages. The Gentiles. What, what that's just saying. When, you, when you're talking about that, the waters attached to those people that are Gentile, not Jewish. Although some would say the Antichrist is going to be Jewish, uh, but could that be the next guy to come? Uh, then the, the second beast that is coming. Look at verse 2. Um, the beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth of that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power on the throne and great authority. Feet like those of a bear can deal with power, strength, and, and mouth like a lion to how, how he presents himself, uh, uh, kind of royal and and. and Somebody worth the respect, tingly, uh, the leopard, uh, perhaps suggesting a swift and quiet movement onto the world stage. Again, hopefully you recognize these are just certain assumptions. I'm not declaring this is what it is. This is not. This is one way that some might look and, and interpret this. But we don't know. In fact, we describe the beast and how it's going. To, how he's going to be in that day when he's revealed. In many ways, will probably be a surprise. Not what people generally expected. Not the person they expected. It seems that people will be drawn to his charismatic personality. He will be a gifted communicator. The one that is needed for such a time as that. You know, they, they, the, they're looking for answers to the problem. He says he has the answers. And people will then put themselves, and nations will put themselves under his leadership. By the way, he will be persuasive, this beast, this Antichrist, will be persuasive not just in getting people to follow his leadership for the world, but he will be persuasive in his leadership of 
uh, leadership against God. In verse 5 in Revelation, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them and authority over every tribe, nation, people, tribe, and nation. So eventually he will set himself up as a God, a deity, not just blaspheming God, but himself claiming to be worthy of worship. Which goes back to Second Thessalonians. I had it on the screen just not that long ago. Second Thessalonians passage in two, where the beast was going to set up worship in the temple for himself. The authority comes from the devil who controls him, gives him the power to accomplish perhaps even supernatural things. But he, though claiming to be God, is not God. By the way, in verse one, I skipped over. Uh, it says he had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on his horn and on each head a blasphemous name. Uh, there could be a reference there. What many would see is a ten-nation confederacy controlling the world economy. Seven would turn their power over to the beast, and three will resist him, but resistance is futile. In the end times against these. So there are those who would see the beast as a leader of a revived Roman Empire, a ten-nation confederacy in Europe, and some of the things that happened and joining together, the, the people begin to question, is that a part of that or not? But... They've been questioning for centuries. The beast will rule over these ten nations in Europe, but that will spread to a worldwide rule. That will spread to something that turns very bad. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 27, he will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. You know, think about that, sevens. And we, we've talked about that in the past, and I'm not going to get into that. But in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice offerings. And at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. There will be a sense of a, a signing of a, of a peace with Israel. Which is intended to be for a seven, for seven years. But as we read in verse five, just a little bit ago, it says he will exercise his authority for 42 months. Three and a half years. And if you've been following us, that second three and a half years is often referred to as the great tribulation where things just get even worse, so to speak. It, it, what will happen between him and Israel and, and the rest of the world. And really, in many ways, we're thinking about this as a, as a fight. You know, the analogy of this as a fight uh, uh, for those who are in his corner. The first for that unholy trinity, the first three and a half rounds or years, they're going to score big points, do big damage in the fight. But the last three and a half is where most of the serious knockdowns are going to take place as he rules over the whole world for that last three and a half years in the great tribulation. Now, eventually, he becomes, as we look at verse 8, eventually... He the beast becomes the world leader, taking over, taking control. In some ways, it was given to him by, by some through alliances. Others, he just becomes a dictator by force with absolute authority and total control. What would be a one world government if you can actually call it a government when there's a dictator beast in charge? He will turn against those who turn towards him, including the Jews who he was ruling over, initially acting like he was on their side to try to help them, and they really start to believe that, that he is the deliverer. And they, in a sense, are lulled to sleep in this kind of peace where they even just kind of lay down their defenses, everything's cool, only to be delivered into destruction, if that were possible, as he makes war on them and as he makes war on God's people during this time. There are many that are pointing today to world leaders that are the Antichrist. It's this one or that one. And uh, somebody uh, that, that they, now, let, me, let me give you just, well, let's just look at who is the beast. Let's deal with today is some of the things that you've heard or may not have heard and just kind of think through this. 
Because you say, okay, here's what the word's saying. Here's kind of a description. But when people start talking about who is the beast, there's so much speculation regarding this for centuries that has not always been correct interpretation about the one who is the Antichrist. Obviously not correct because they weren't correct. Uh, you hear prophecy experts today telling you, you know, this one's going to be the Antichrist. Just watch this person is coming onto the scene. Watch and see they're going to be the one. But people have been watching and seeing since the very beginning who the Antichrist was going to be. And, and there have been people all the way back in, in history. Uh, you go back to the religious leaders in history being pegged as the Antichrist. Uh, Martin Luther in his time in the Reformation, he, he, he called out the Pope as the Antichrist, you know. And, and, and for all that matters, really every Pope throughout has been called at one time or been said to be the potential antichrist and it's not just him other religious leaders of other places like muhammad the founder of islam in fact there's just so many wild and wilder theories out there that you know he said well is he going to be, he's going to be gentile well, some would say he's going to be jewish well now some of these you know some are saying well he's going to be muslim uh, this this beast this antichrist is going to be but the way they come about this argument and the way they talk about it is because of some Shiite extremist Muslim prophecy of the 12th Iman. Don't go there. Don't look that up. Don't remember I just said that. You know, it's like you got to wonder why there are Christians out there basing their wild theories on something that's not even from the Bible. But from some other religion. You don't always know what you're hearing. We need to practice discernment. There are those who were world leaders thought to be the Antichrist from Napoleon and Mussolini and so many others before him and after him. But not just those who were up there in the world leaders, but maybe lesser leaders within countries. How many remember? I know there's not going to be many, but I'm just kind of curious as how old I am. How many remember Henry Kissinger? Oh, uh, not bad. Henry Kissinger, Middle East peacemaker who was Jewish. He was the man going to be the Antichrist. He was, uh, I mean, he was one of the ones on the list. You know, it may be people that aren't even in government, but just kind of big in the world. I mean, uh, Bill Gates has been pegged as the Antichrist. Uh, obviously, there are ones that, if you look throughout history, the way they ruled and what they did, you kind of understand how that person was seen as a potential beast or antichrist and others you're like i don't get it like prince william Uh, i'm not sure Uh, one of the ways that people try to figure out who the beast is is in in relation to verse 18 the last verse and for this calls for wisdom if anyone has insight let him calculate the number of the beast for it is man's number his his number is six 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 the number of the beast now what is that the speculation again about this it is incredible and the interpretation of 666 the antichrist the beast some have speculated that six obviously it says represents man that man created on the sixth day and that falls short of seven which is the perfect number with god and but even with that that you gotta that's not enough to say that you go beyond that it was a completely different day taking 666 as something literally that needs to be figured out with prophecy experts and others putting together the numbers in in some uh, of what is called gematria at numerology basically just searching for hidden meanings based on letters corresponding to numbers it sounds so technical it sounds so official when somebody just starts going through it saying it and it's not either official or technical it's something that's been used Long ago, even using Hebrew letters and numbers by rabbis and Jewish mysticism and Kabbalah. Those taking the beast and the Antichrist, first, middle, and last name, and cracking the code, you know, figuring it out. World leaders throughout history have been accused of being the Antichrist, starting all the way back to Nero, the emperor. And you can kind of see we that first Nero and, and what part of what the persecution we read, read about here that great persecutor of the church, but you take his name in Hebrew, you add it up, it's 666. Other emperors have been thought to be the beast. Then there are leaders, I mentioned Napoleon. You know, and in popular literature, it was put out there, Emperor Napoleon, the Emperor Napoleon, and the numbers turned out and calculated 666 for a number of reasons. Also, you can think of other ones that maybe seem more obvious 
uh, as why somebody would think that, but the domination dictator all around bad guy Hitler, classified as the Antichrist, the beast. In fact, in verse 13 here in chapter 13, and he performed great miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Now, you know, some would say, well, we hear what that is, but they didn't know in those days what they were seeing and what was going on. And so this is about fire coming down from heaven, uh, planes dropping bombs down. And, and then some would attribute Hitler as being one of the first ones really to use bomber airplanes. But that's not the only evidence and not just how bad he was and all he's doing. Here's the thing. It's the evidence of the 666. If you look at the letters in his name and count A is 100 and B is 101 and you just add that up and you six letters or six numbers, you get 666. It all adds up. Hitler is the one. People were convinced and it doesn't change the fact that he was not the one. The real beast, the Antichrist, therefore will make Hitler look mild-mannered. Nonetheless, you can use this numbering scheme to calculate almost anyone according to the beast. I even thought about just taking randomly, just taking someone's name, somebody was sitting like right in here, just taking their name and, and, and writing it and, and calculating it up and showing how th their name adds up to 666. But I thought better of that because, you know, somebody walking out of here with 666 attached to their name, not a good idea. I, I, I didn't do that. But it, it's not just the world leaders that we mentioned from other countries. It's presence in the United States. John F. Kennedy received 666 votes at the Democratic Convention and he died from a head wound. Oh, and then there's Ronald Wilson Reagan. How many letters are in each name? 666. Okay? It is the Antichrist. And not to mention that Reagan recovered from a wound that seemed to be fatal and important. Now, what is this? We're talking about this wound and maybe you've heard it. You see it here. In our chapter in, in verse 13, in chapter 13, verse 3, <clears throat> one of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound, but the fatal wound hadn't been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. You read on down or verse 12 in this passage. He exercised all authority, the first beast on his hat, and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast, whose fatal wound had been healed. And even in uh, verse 14, he goes on uh, to talk of that because of the signs were given power on behalf to first beast. He deceived the inhabitants of the earth, set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. Some would say, uh, and it talks in Revelation 17 about some of this as well, uh, assassin and he survived or that he actually... Uh, not just was healed, but that he actually died and was raised from the dead. You'll hear some talk about that's who this Antichrist, what happens to this Antichrist from these this passages that I just read. Uh, in other words, there are those who are not, those who, who are talking about the mark on the beast. Not just the mark of the beast, which is next in the series, uh, the next one. We won't get to the, the third of the Holy Trinity today, but uh, the next one, the mark on the beast is that fatal wound that he received and he was resurrected some would say and that would lead people to follow him all the more uh, now there's different perspectives some might say that it's not really the beast but the beast kingdom that gets resurrected that was dead for a long time it really doesn't matter but it, people have read into what that could be many might say today vladimir putin from russia is the the leader uh, is a, is the antichrist and yet you go back a little ways and uh, there was Mikhail Gorbachev. How do you remember him? In the middle of the Cold War and, and some of the stuff that was going on with that, he has the mark of the beast. He has the mark on him right there. That's it. That's the fatal wound. Uh, and, but it's not really, it wasn't a wound, but that's how people saw it because this is just part of the, the, the analogy. This is a part of the, uh, what the Bible, we just got to have to figure out the Bible as it says. You know, not, don't take it literally right there, but this is it. He was the one. Uh, for all that matter, the presence of the United States is seen as the Antichrist, Franklin Roosevelt, to recently Barack Obama and Donald Trump all have been claimed to be the beast, the Antichrist. The reality is most every president of the United States 
has had their name submitted to be the Antichrist. And part of the difficulty with this whole beast wound assumption that is being said about the beast, it gets wounded and all that, it, it can appear that he was dead. And you can really read and, and interpret what's being said in the verses I just said is something that just appeared. But there are those who say he actually died and he was resurrected and came back to life. The conflict that I would have and that some would have with this is with a beast resurrection taking place is it is not taking place from the power of God. It is not taking place from the voice of Jesus who is the resurrection and the life calling them forth unto life like it says in John 5 or we read in John 11. The question is since Christ is the resurrection where do we see Satan has the power to give life? To those who are evil and destined for judgment, Hebrews 9.27 says it very clearly. It is appointed unto man once to die and after that to face judgment. That doesn't change what that passage is saying. It just changes how you want to interpret that uh, about not having to have actually died. It could appear they could be playing up like that. It's just some really crazy theories and conspiracies. For sure, uh, who they uh, for surely is the the Antichrist the beast? There's one I just heard of uh, that I find it hard to believe. Uh, although I know some people might not, because but this person, you know, this person is still alive as far as I know. So I suppose it cannot be a stretch. Uh, maybe you would recognize his picture. <laughs> yes, if you take cute purple dinosaur in Latin characters and you add them up, it equals six six six. I, I, I hope, you know, we're getting some idea of the ridiculousness sometimes of the speculation that's out of control and pointless. Even though they're pointing to the evidence. And I know I've given wild examples like this. The problem is you, some are you are probably listening to prophecy experts who are just not that far off. And 30 years from now, they're going to be looking pictures like Barney the dinosaur of the stuff that you're being told right now. There's stuff that is true. There's stuff that is clear. There's other stuff we don't know. I'm not saying that they're all wrong. But to say this is the interpretation and this is right, we've got to watch. We hear today, uh, watching out for those who would say we could fit or become the Antichrist or the beast. Yet throughout the ages, church people have tried to figure this out. Every one of them have been wrong because that beast or that Antichrist is dead and buried. That's why you can say they're wrong. Each one of those that have thought this is the one, they're dead and buried. Even though they say their predictions were based on the Bible. And yet, I recognize there are still some so consumed that they are right, that they would say these predictions are true, that Hitler was and is still the beast or the Antichrist. Yes, he died years ago, but he's coming back to life because they froze his body. He's not really dead all the way, or they've cloned him, and he's coming back. Hitler is really one. Or I just saw a recent comment. It was like two days ago. There was an article about end times, uh, somewhat, you know, it was Bible-based, and uh, there was only one comment uh, at the end of the article. Somebody put a comment, and the guy basically said, JFK is the Antichrist. Not was, JFK is come, he's already come back to life. He's already come back to life and they're just waiting for the right moment for him to be revealed and come onto the scene and he will be the one. The fact is we do not know who the beast is and while there's an outside chance he may be alive at this time, the reality is he's not going to make his appearance until the day of the Lord. He will not come into the scene until the latter times. Daniel 8 when it talks in Second Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, verse 2 that we read a little earlier, until the restrainer is removed. He's not going to be on the scene. And obviously those who would believe in a pre-tribulation rapture would say he's not going to show up until after the rapture and the church is taken out and it's not going to matter what we think or who the beast is going to be. We're not going to see that. I know for some, I guess the point is that the the fascination was speculation. And and I'm going to say that's that's sinful, but 
if we're just so into this fascination of speculation of end times and yet we are not any more holy than we were before we started getting into it, we have a problem because that's what the Bible and God is calling us to. You cannot know so much of this. And I don't care what somebody says, all kinds of evidence, how clear. It does not say the person's name in the Bible. I mean, somebody could get lucky and call it, yes. And the whole antichrist lottery, so to speak. But what, what does this come down to? We need to know who that... We do need to understand who that enemy is or who that enemy will be, who will be in that corner in the fight, or else God wouldn't have put it in the Word. All right? Some of us are like, well, you, you hear what I say today and say, well, what's the point in even look? Well, what was the point in God putting it in there? Obviously, it's there. It's important for us to, to understand and know. But here's from that. It's not just understanding who is in the corner against God, but to understand who is in the corner with God and whether we are with him in his corner. The final heavyweight fight for the world has some heavy hitters. The beast, the dragon, the beast. The next time we'll talk about the false prophet. But God is in control and he lets it play out. Let's be clear. There is an end to this final fight. The the Armageddon, etc. that we'll talk again next time. End of opponents. Let's understand that there is more in the Bible that describes their defeat. We haven't got into that quite yet, but Ezekiel 21 and 28, or yeah, chapter 28, Daniel 7, Revelation, you look in 17, 19, and 20, you see places that talk about the final heavyweight fight. Even though it gets messy, we know the one who wins. We know the one who has already won. That's what we know. Here's what we know. Jesus is still the undisputed, undefeated champion of the world and champion for the world. We describe this horrible time. We describe this horrible person and all that's going to happen. But this is the truth right up here on your screen. In the end, God wins. He knocks out every foe. He wins every battle, every fight over all. So while we grasp who is in the corner against God, it sets up something more important that we grasp that God is in our corner. And that those on God's team do not have to tag in on this fight. He's got it. He fights it. He fights our battles. We were given the victory. We have the victory. And we will still win the victory. Do you hear that? Past, present, and future. We were given the victory. We have the victory. And we will win the victory as we stand in God's corner with him. Earlier this morning, earlier this morning, I read out of First John, chapter four, verses one to three, about the Antichrist. But the next part, the next verse, the very next verse, is it that talking about the Antichrist and the Antichrist there in First John chapter four, in verse four, the very next verse, it says this: "You, dear children, are from God, and have overcome them, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world." Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Jesus conquers every foe. We know this is talking about Jesus. It's great news. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That is great news that Jesus is undefeated. But even greater news is he's not in your corner. And I didn't miss say that. Check and see whether you're listening. Jesus is not just in your corner. Greater is he that is in you. Not just with you. Not just there beside you. Not just there in your corner. Jesus, if you know Christ Jesus as your Savior, if you've committed your life to him and you're following his his disciple, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, that he that is in the world, Satan, the dragon, Do we recognize this? To recognize the power of the blood of Jesus and the authority as He is seated on the throne that is available to us as we are seated with Him in the heavenlies to overcome the powers of darkness in this time, not just that He's going to overcome the powers of darkness in the end time. How is it that we believe, and I would venture to guess that almost all of you who are here today who believe in Christ 
would say that you believe that God will have the victory over this biggest fight, this final heavyweight fight for the world. I would venture to say that almost all of you, if not all, believe 100% that God is going to win the final victory. That is not in doubt in our minds. So how is it that we believe God's going to have this final victory, but for some reason we cannot trust him for the smaller victories in our life today, here and now? How is it that he can win against the unholy trinity, totally released off the chain? And the amazingly horrible things that are yet to come, he's going to win the victory. Amen. Hallelujah. But when you are facing something today, uh, grab a hold of this. If we can know that we will have a victory in the very end times, over the direct attempt of Satan and the beasts and the false prophets taking over. If that victory at the end of that tremendous battle, if we're going to have that victory, how much more will we have a victory that we can be sure of in our everyday life and everyday battles? If we really do believe that God has won that final battle, then surely he can be trusted to overcome victory over every foe and enemy until that day as well. The Lamb of God has overcome the world and every enemy. Yesterday, today, and forever. Let's pray as the worship team comes. Father, thank you that you have this, you have us. All things are still under your control. Things have been planned out ahead. Today, there may be many different things that are going on in, in hearts and minds that you're speaking to people about. It may be in how we've looked at end times. It may be in who we're listening to and what we're believing needs some discernment. But more than all that, it may be that if we can believe you win the final battle against the greatest and most immense odds ever, then surely we can trust you for the battle we're in today. Lord, I thank you that you have won. I thank you that you are winning the battles and that you will win. May we turn our eyes, recognizing that yes, there is an enemy. He is a formidable foe. But may we turn our eyes to your corner and see you, Jesus. The one who is in us that is greater than he that is in the world. Turn our hearts and our minds to you and may we turn over our trust to you. Forgive our unbelief. Because obviously we have faith to believe you can do it in the end, but forgive our unbelief right now in those things that we feel are just going to end us. I thank you that you're just not in our corner, but that you are in us. The undisputed, undefeated champion of the world and for the world, Jesus. 